So I love my job, but again, I'm, I'm in our generation. So I think that I'm always open to thinking about new things. I'm never really satiated. Welcome to the What the Heck Do You Do Career Podcast, an inspiring look into the everyday jobs of everyday people. Welcome, ladies and gents, to the What the Heck Do You Do podcast. My name is Ezra Dweck, and I'll be your guest host tonight, along with my partner here, Richie Mizrahi. Oh, I'm excited for this one, Ez. I am very excited. So don't go away. You didn't click the wrong podcast. You're on the correct podcast, episode number 20 of the What the Heck Do You Do podcast. And tonight, we have a very special guest. Your one and only. Miss Carol Dweck. Hi, guys. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Very Thank special you. guest. Are you uh, a big fan of the show? Do you listen? I've actually never listened to an episode of the show. Really? I've heard terrible things about it, but I'm okay, excited so to be on apparently, it <laughs> Apparently, this is the time you've all been waiting for where the one and only Carol sits in the interviewee seat, and we're very excited to ask you this question that you've asked dozens of times. Carol Dweck, what the heck do you do? My, how the tables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is it's much harder when you're sitting on this side. I feel That's bad right. that I subject all my interviewees to this torture. Um, So I am a career counselor and I help people of all ages with everything career related A to Z. So that can be anything from career discovery. So figuring out what you want to do with your lives, or it could be, let's say you already know what you want to do, landing the job. So resume writing, interview skills, um, optimizing your LinkedIn, really anything that'll help you get your dream job. I think it's also important to to note that you also have a job at Yeshiva Flatbush as a, as a psychology teacher. Is that right? I do. I do. Um, I teach psychology and I also work as part of the Pathfinders program at Yeshiva Flatbush. So okay. the Pathfinders program helps students figure out what they want to do with their lives, very similar to what I do privately as well. And so I help the students by being their career counselor and also organizing trips, speakers, all different types of programming to help them figure out what they like and what they want to do. So we're going to get into how you got into that space. And I think that's all part of it. And your degree in psychology is, part, is part of it. But I just want to dive straight into the career counseling and just take us through kind of a day in the life. Um, if I'm a client of yours, if I'm sitting, let's say I'm a, a college age student, which mm-hmm. I'm assuming is that most of your clients or what, what kind of age group is your So the focus? truth is, I guess I, I originally thought that most of my clients would be college aged. Um, but it, it's been throughout all the age ranges. Spectrum, right? Yeah. And it's interesting because each age group has different concerns and different needs, and I work with them in different ways. What's like the range? What's like the youngest you've ever worked with and the oldest? So the youngest that I've worked with, I mean, I work with high school students, right? Mm-hmm. Um, privately, is probably college. And the oldest, I don't know the actual age, but I've worked with, you know, mothers and fathers, with right. kids who went to high school or, or know me from high school and even older. So I think let's just focus maybe on the people that are graduating college, you know, looking at the job market. Um, we're in a very, very interesting time with uh, the global pandemic. So I just want to focus on that kind of age group and, and just take me through, you know, me as a college age student, Carol, what the heck do I do with my life, <laughs> as you just said? And so take me through kind of a, a typical meeting structure. How does that work? Right. So... Even though every person and client is extremely, extremely different, I usually start my first session talking about their strengths. So what are the things that you are uniquely good at and really enjoy doing? So I'll give you an example. Um, I had a client come to me and she said, okay, I'm extremely, extremely artistic and I love doing art. And I also really, really love working with people. And those were her two main strengths. 
And I think that if we were thinking about this in a really surface level, one dimensional way, we would just tell her, oh, great, go be an art therapist. You can use art and you can also help people. And the problem with that way of thinking is, first of all, if it were that simple, she would have figured it out already. You know, she doesn't need me to tell her this really obvious thing that probably a lot of other people are telling her. Um, and secondly, that's really, it's, it's just too surface, right? So what we did was we tried to figure out what underlies those strengths. So let's take art, for example. Um, so we talked about like what makes her artistic and what allows her to be artistic. And we found out that she's extremely detail oriented and she has a lot of patience and she has an amazing aesthetic eye for what looks good. And also she really likes copying things that exist already. Whereas some other people who are artistic really like coming up with their own creative things. So when you break down the elements, you recognize that each strength has tons of other strengths that underlie it. And now that she knows that she's detail-oriented, she's patient, she has a great visual and aesthetic eye, this opened up so many more career opportunities for her rather than just something in art. Because as you can figure out, like those are traits that are amazing for tons of different careers. And you can do the same thing for yourself. You know, if you're saying you're good at math or you're saying you're good at working with people, right? Figure out what underlies that instead of just like taking it at face value. And I think that that really takes something that's super, super daunting, like trying to find your career for the rest of your lives. And it makes it actually really exciting because now you have tons of opportunities that you can open yourself up to. Well, I think also just looking at the what what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? When you had that question as a high school student, that was the most stressful question you could possibly get. You know, I'm, I'm a high school student. I'm worried about my math test tomorrow. I'm worried about my crush that I'm sitting next to. I have acne, all kinds of teenage angst, right? And then all of a sudden this career advisor wants me to spell out what my purpose in life is, you know, what my, my goal is in life. And honestly, I think it's just not fair to these kids to, to be able to come up with an answer. I think 95% of them don't, don't know what they're going to do next week, right? right. So well, I've been reading actually when I was in that stage, I was reading all these books and I was trying to just educate myself, find the answers somehow magically within the pages of a book. And I remember what, reading books like, um, there was actually a book called What the Heck, you know, What, what Do You Want to Do With Your Life? That was the book. Um, or, uh, was that uh, the title? Yeah, yeah what, what am I going to do with my life? I think it was the title. Or there's another one called um, uh, Finding the Hat That Fits. Um, and so, um, you know, that one was by a guy named John Capel. And that one was, it just reminded me of like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like self-actualization, you know, realizing the, the ultimate potential of what we could be so philosophical, so like, so, you know, fuzzy mm -hmm. and so like vague. And not that, concrete. Yeah. Right. So I just felt like that gave me no answers as a kid to find the ultimate the ultimate answer, it just didn't really help me find just the starting point, the first step. And even going further, it's like you were somebody that actually was at least motivated to seek that help or try to understand what you, what your next steps in life are going to be through these books. There are so many high school kids now that just even that idea of thinking, what am I going to do next in my, you know, as a job or career, is such a daunting thing to think about that... I think that presents a whole new challenge for you, Carol, whenever you have to talk to somebody like that really has no direction whatsoever. Yeah, and I'll take that even a step further. I think the even worse part of it is that they're looking for help from their parents, their friends, their peers, 
And those people don't really know what to tell them, but they make stuff up anyways. Like they act like they know exactly what it is. Like I was saying, they say, oh, you have this skill. You should do this thing. And it messes with them because they're like, everybody keeps telling me I should do this thing, but I don't want to do this thing. I was going to say, you're in a very, very influential position, right? You're speaking to high school, college age kids who for the most part, I don't want to overgeneralize, but for the most part, people just do. Uh, and we're going to talk about kind of how, how, you know, Rich, how you ended up in your position. I think by and large, it just happens. Yeah. It happens how it mm-hmm. happens. You end up speaking to someone who gets you in touch with a recruiter and you just end up in a job somehow. Right. So you're actually in a very influential position being able to basically mold these kids' careers. Um, but I am curious, like if you, they, they come to you and let's say it's a motivated person, like you mentioned, you know, this book that I was reading, uh, Finding the Hat That Fits, you know, it, it lists off some exercises, some activities, you know, describing your perfect, perfect day or like writing an obituary for yourself or creating a timeline of your life successes. <laughs> but basically they have things that you can do. Right. I'm just curious if you have like homework or thing, you know, basically 100%, yeah. things that you can do. So I love what you said about a lot of jobs happening sort of by accident or by luck. And I honestly do think that that's true. And people might think that that's counterintuitive for a career counselor to say it just happens by luck because then yeah. what, am, what are you here for if it's just going to be luck anyways? The idea behind what we do in the sessions when it's career discovery is helping the clients figure out what their strengths are and how to articulate their strengths so that when those opportunities do arise, they understand one, is this a good opportunity for me? Is this the type of opportunity that I would want? And two, how do I articulate that in a, in a real way to the person who's going to be hiring me or the recruiter or whoever it is. So for example, we do a lot of work around strengths. So how, like, what are your unique strengths that are natural to you? And we break apart, you know, things that you enjoy doing versus things that you're good at. And we break down examples with that. Or we might do like an essence object um, sort of exercise where you think about objects that can represent different parts of who you are in a very abstract way. It's just good ways to get you thinking about things in your life. And then we always, so this is something that I learned actually from being a therapist. So just a little bit of background. I also have my license as a mental health counselor. So, you know, you kind of would think where, where does that fit in? Um, but the main thing about being a therapist is don't take things at face value. So if somebody comes to you and says, okay, I like math, right? You got to dig deeper. What is it about math that you like? Because there's so many things that you can answer. You could say, I like problem solving. I like things that only have one answer. I like it because I'm just good at it, right? And there's so many, and all of those different things lead to different knowledge about yourself. And then I'll even go further and say, what do you think it is about you that makes you good at math or that makes you like problem solving? And digging deeper and teaching people how to dig deeper into themselves and have that self-awareness, that's the key. And my hope as the career counselor is not to have the person rely on me for the rest of their lives to help them figure that out. It's I'm going to give you the tools. And now wherever you go in your life, you're going to have these tools to learn more about yourself and you're going to know your strengths and you're going to keep building on your strengths. And that's going to help you for the rest of your life. So I want to just point out, um, you mentioned math. I want to just compare that to, I'm going to use Richie as an example here, right? Because he's actually good at math. Perfect score on his math SAT. Go Richie. Not brag, but okay. So just talk me through. Uh, and that was awesome. I, I am. I, I was going to ask actually how you saw the crossover between your 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 uh, education, right? Your your degree and and the sessions you're hosting. But I just want to ask Rich. You know, you're good at math. Yeah. Um, was that and and just and just for the for the for the audience, what do you do? Just want to give it a one a one liner. 
So I work in digital What the marketing. heck do you do, what Richard? Heck, what the heck do I do? I work for a digital <laughs> marketing firm on uh, the analytics team. And a lot of what we do is helping the buyers of media to um, inform their buying decisions and creating insight for um, a lot of what they do. So we're not actually buying the, the different media. So by media, I mean like a spot on, uh, on Google or the sidebar on a website to advertise on. We're telling them, hey, this tactic works better, this audience works better, and we're informing their decisions. So the question is math, right? You're yeah. always good at math. You're always passionate about it. Like Carl's saying, was that a key driver? If, if yes, what, what component of math, be it problem solving or some other type of uh, factor, really ended up pushing you towards this direction? That's the question. Yeah, um, that's a good question because initially, and this fits right in with what you were saying, Carol, where you're good at one thing, so you should do this. So that was kind of my path where I was good at math going into college and everyone around me was telling me do engineering, right? Go into engineering. Lucky for me, there was no engineering program in, in, in the school I went to. So um, I went out of that. I actually hated physics. So, so that was like not even uh, something that was on my alley anyway. Um, continued doing math. And then uh, marketing really doesn't have to do much with math. It, you could get by with pretty simple math unless you're doing like really... Um, uh, difficult modeling, which most people don't do. But I think the problem solving part of that was where uh, I kind of fit in. It's like you're you're put with a uh, data set and you have to figure out why certain things are, are, are performing or not performing and um, how you could um, maneuver the different tactics and, and audiences to get the best performance. So I think that problem solving piece of it is what I liked as opposed to the pure computational or, um, I don't know, the one answer right. is, is a result. I, of I think it's part. interesting just what I've, what I've observed, and I'm not the expert here, but in my experience, I had eight, nine internships throughout college every single semester in all kinds of industries. And it was interesting when I gave my resume to, an, to, a, to a company at the end of my uh, college, it looked like I was totally scattered, right? I was taking jobs in all kinds of industries that were completely unrelated, but... I think the moral of this story, maybe, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, is that there are there are functions, there are things that get you excited, like like problem solving, that don't necessarily have to fit within a specific industry. It could apply to anywhere. Right. So I think for me, at least, when I was going through that process of internships and majors and classes, and I switched my major three times, by the way, but but for me, it was more about what activities, what things got me excited. It was less about the whole industry or what you know what what major to, to go into. I think that was for me. It was just exploring what functions what got me excited on a day-to-day basis and I applied it to anything yeah I think you're right on the money because they're a very small section of the population that pursues jobs that are very I don't want to say one-dimensional but there's a clear path right so like you were saying engineering right you go to engineering school you become an engineer it's very clear cut there are a lot of ways to maneuver within it like last week's episode we had the dentists right clear path they both chose two different paths of going about it but it's it's clear this is what you have to do to get there Um, and in that case, you need a very specific set of hard skills in order to be able to do the job. So for engineering, for dentistry, for nursing, for even, I guess, being a therapist, you need to go on that specific path. But for most jobs, it's exactly like Ezra was saying, it's not about the hard skills. It's about the soft skills. And that's what you were getting at. Those general things that interested you and excited you and were natural for you. So something like communication skills, Mm -hmm. right? Which doesn't mean you only need to be a therapist. You need communication skills for every job. Um, problem solving skills, great for a lot of jobs, 
creativity, whether that be artistic creativity or thinking creatively of new solutions. Um, so it's really those soft skills that are going to get you excited to be doing the job, number one. And number two, it can also a lot of times be the reason why you get the job offer to begin with. The hard skills are much easier to get if you needed to. And usually those are not as important. They're more clearly defined, I would say. Right. Do you find, and, and because you teach in a school um, and you're doing the career guidance, do you find that um, soft skills are generally lacking in most high school kids and that's where you could kind of step in and, and play a major role? So that's really what I do with the high school students. So the same way as I was saying earlier, it's very daunting to ask somebody in high school what you want to do with the rest of your lives. I literally do the exact opposite. I tell them you should not know what you want to do for the rest of your lives. And if you think you know, you should really be open-minded to thinking about other things because it's way too early to know. Yeah, I mean, for me also, just on that, like I took you know nine internships. I found out that I wasn't interested in nine industry types. Yeah, and so, that's you know, huge. Roles. And that was a huge, right, a huge mm-hmm. step. Imagine I was applying to law school until I took a position in Columbia and I hated it. Right. <laughs> so I would have been stuck in a four, you know, three years into a law school uh, education and you know, I wouldn't have known where to turn. So I think a big part of it is just exploration. That was actually a big, a big th- a theme in one of the books I was reading when I was you know, 20, 21 years old. Um, it's just exploration, right? right? So I want to get to... Wait, I want to enter Richie's yeah. question, which is, so what do we do with them, right? So how do we help them? And one of them is exactly what you were saying, which is exploration, right. telling them, here, you could do this internship, you could do this program, right? And the other part of it is actually having sessions with them so that they can get in touch with what their soft skills are and which ones are maybe not so well-defined that they should work on more. So if somebody knows that they're a really great communicator and then we can push them towards debate or model UN or one of those things that use communication skills very clearly, that can help them further pursue that, right? So for example, I was on model UN and I'm not in any political type of job right now, but the communication skills that I learned there from having to work with other people, the research skills that I learned from doing that and having to figure out you know, different solutions, so many of the skills that I learned there and that I furthered um, in my knowledge by being on model UN, super helpful. So it's, I don't think that they're specifically lacking in the skills as much as they're lacking in awareness of mm-hmm. which skills they're strong in and which skills they're weak in. And the, the awareness is the most important part because once you know what you're good at, you can find jobs that cater to your strengths. And when you know what you're bad at, I wouldn't say you should avoid those things. It's just, you should be aware that that's a weakness and you should either say, I'm going to really work on this because I know it's an important skill, or I'm going to find a job that doesn't rely so heavily on that skill because it just doesn't come naturally to me. Right. Yeah. And just to, to, to comment, I think we all kind of agree that on the college major side, it's not as important than people think, you know, you're not, you know, you're not yeah. committing yourself to life. Before we move on to the next topic, um, I just want to ask you, we were kind of debating, we were talking about, um, personality tests, mm-hmm. right? So a little background, I mean, personality tests originally, originally they're designed by the U S army, the U S military, world war one. What was the purpose of it? Just to root out people with mental health problems. So they couldn't, you know, fire machine guns. So and now you, you type in career guidance or you type in really a lot of different terms. You can tell me on, on the, on the uh, Google side, but, um, you know, there's no shortage of tests and some of them are so silly. They kind of remind me of like the Buzzfeed, like what yeah. Disney princess mm-hmm. are you? And they're, they're so, you, you know, click on that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but my question to you is, and, and really the most commercial commercially available ones are what the Myers Briggs, which have gotten destroyed by psychologists. Yes. Completely inaccurate. Um, Ooh, and yet, and yet we base, we base our decisions 
whether it be, you know, careers or romantic partners or, you know, so many things on these tests. Uh, my question to you is, you know, what, what's the accuracy of these tests in general, in your opinion? And do they provide any value basically in the career uh, search process? Right. So um, as part of my mental health counseling training in graduate school, I took classes on career counseling and every single textbook just destroyed the Myers-Briggs. Right. And even in my personality test uh, class and my assessment class, they all, they just like What's hated it. When I first got hired to my current position, they made me take, well, they didn't make me, but they highly suggested my team uh, that I take a Myers-Briggs test because they want to see where, where I fit in, mm-hmm. Jay, whatever. And it's so funny to hear now that that, that the personality test really is not accurate and at all. And this is one of the biggest, this is one of the biggest private companies in the world. First of all, um, accuracy debatable, like the actual accuracy. I mean, I could take the test today and get a different result if I take it in six months from now. That's really where like the reliability and the accuracy comes in. The other thing is I don't think that there's no validity to it whatsoever or no value to it whatsoever. And it goes back to the idea of Mm self-awareness. So knowing parts of yourself, knowing where your strengths are, or just like having that common language throughout a group to talk about it. So being able to say, you know, I'm more of a thinking person and I'm more Mm -hmm. of a feeling person, right? And that allows us to have a common language. I see the value in that. And even having a language to talk to yourself with. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, especially with careers, it's super, super valuable. Like, because you're in this, you know, you're an ENFP or an INFJ, right. like whatever it is, right. that you should fit in, in this specific job. Okay. Because it's just, it's not, it doesn't take in everything that it needs to take, right? So there's personality, but there's also strengths and there's also interests and there's also values, mm-hmm. right? So somebody can come to you and say, you know, go be a dermatologist because you like skincare, but maybe you don't value going to school for X amount of years, or you don't value the work hours that you would have to put in if you were a dermatologist, or you don't value being in a job where you help other people. So there's just a lot more to it. I'm yeah. convinced that China has some sort of test that exactly <laughs> where you describe oh, with all those things that are like, oh, you go put the phone. <laughs> okay, last point on this is, you know, like you're saying, kind of the feeling it gives you, I think there's a widely known term called the Barnum effect. Yes. P.T. Barnum, the circus mm-hmm. guy, right? 1949, there was, a, there was a study with college students given that were all given the same personality profiles, mm-hmm. identical one to another, right? And they didn't realize it. And all the students, actually but one, agreed that the traits mostly described them. What right. were the traits? They were vague, mm-hmm. but pretty much positive like descriptions. Right. right. That's exactly so, what yeah, it is. Kind of like hard yeah, So, exactly. you know, accuracy, we're not sure about, like you're saying, but, but value, potentially, potentially there is something to talk about. Yeah. Um, all right. So I wait. Before we move on, on yeah. I actually want to know what kind of Disney princess Richie is. <laughs> uh, I think I'll be Jasmine. Jasmine, <laughs> <as> adventurous. <laughs> I gotta retake it. So, you know when you you can pick the answers because you know exactly what it's gonna be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you wanted to be Jasmine. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, I right. want to move on to COVID nineteen. I know you, we don't want to talk about this too much, but. The fact of the facts that today, as a college Hopefully graduate, this will be irrelevant. Right, right. Very soon. <laughs> but the facts are, Carol, that that the job market as a as a college grad are wildly different than they were, for, you know, five six months ago. Um, I mean, we're looking at record employment numbers um, to all of a sudden having unemployment that, within three months of COVID nineteen, was more than the entire time span between two thousand seven and two thousand nine, the Great Recession, right? 14 million more unemployed Americans. And all that's leading to, for me at least, is, is the question of you know, how, do, how do applicants, especially ones that are graduating college and, and joining the workforce from scratch, how do they really stand out? How do they, you know, if we were to build, let's say, the perfect applicant, 
you know, what kind of skills do employers look for? What type of personality traits and how in general do applicants stand out from one another? That's the question. Right. So I want to just first point out the fact that we've had to pivot. And I guess that's a big buzzword now with COVID. It only further strengthens the idea that we really need to be self-aware of what we're good at because you could have been in a career that seemed like it was solid. And now all of a sudden you had to pivot. And if you don't know what you're good at and what you bring to the table and that industry completely collapses, then you're really, you're, you're not going to have anything to do. So I think the biggest thing is the self-awareness, knowing what your strengths are, knowing what your skills are to be able to articulate those clearly so that when you're pivoting from one career sector to another, you're able to very clearly articulate that. Um, I would say there probably isn't an idea of a perfect applicant. Um, mostly because there's tons of different jobs out there and different employers and different that have different cultures and work environments are looking for different things. What I will say about COVID is that I think, listen, I'm not going to say that it's all roses and sunshine, but it's important to look for where the benefits are and what the positives are. I mean, the job market is opening up a lot more now mm-hmm. and there are more opportunities. Um, it's just about thinking what sectors those opportunities are going to be in, right? So mm-hmm. e-commerce, huge right now. Mm-hmm. Um, even like what Richie does, analytics, people, because everything's online, they want more ad space. They want to know how to maximize their Google search and their Facebook and Instagram and TikTok searches. Um, I would say Excel skills are super, super important right now. I mean, especially we're working, everything is from home. And almost everybody who I interviewed on the podcast highlighted Excel skills Mm -hmm. as being huge. So I would say it's a combination of really understanding your soft skills, but then having those hard skills that you need, depending on what the industry is. And Excel probably across the board. Yeah, it, it blows my mind when, when people, especially in a, in a digital or tech industry, don't know Excel. Mm-hmm. Because that, for me, that's almost like my language. Like, that's what I'm doing every day. If I don't open up an Excel workbook, it kind of, like, is um, must be a vacation day for me. Um, so, that's, yeah, that's a big one. I mean, as a, you know, you have, high, you have siblings in high school. Not anymore. Oh, not anymore. But okay, I mean, <laughs> college, assuming, college. Yeah, let's say you had siblings in high school. What would you, what would you recommend they do? What would they learn? What should they, you know, what, what kinds of actuals? I mean, we mentioned Excel, but what, what, what would you tell them to do to prepare for? So I'll actually, I'll move to college because I think that that's more relevant because you're choosing in a sense, your own classes, you're choosing a major. So in high school, everything is pretty much laid out for you more or less. Um, I think, like you were saying earlier, the major is not the be-all, end-all. So it's really important that you're taking something that you enjoy learning about because being curious and having the ability to learn and think critically in whatever field it is, that's super important. So I think don't put too much pressure on finding a major that's going to exactly lead up to a job unless you have like a really specific, you know, you want to be an engineer, right? Um, In addition to those classes that are in your major that you like, that you enjoy learning about, that helps you just be a well-rounded person, I would say definitely take an Excel class, definitely take a marketing class because I think marketing is everywhere. No matter what you do, you have to market something. If you're a freelancer, you're marketing yourself. If you're working as part of a company, either you're marketing the product or you have to send out emails or you have to get people's attention in some way. So that's really important. Um, I might be biased, but I would definitely say take a psychology class. It's good to know the way that people work. It's good to know the way yourself works. I think it's a combination of taking practical Mm -hmm. classes, like graphic design, I would say is huge now also. Knowing how to use Adobe software is everywhere. I mean, I never thought that I would have to use it, but when I'm making Instagram posts, I have to use, I don't use Adobe because I don't know, I never learned it. But there are apps like Canva that I use that are really good um, for helping. But I also took a class on graphic design to learn like the theory behind, 
you know, what looks good and the types of things that you should think about think, when you're doing that. Just to, and just to finish my story in combination with that is that I ended up taking a major. I ended up, first I started in marketing. I went to finance just like every other kid in Brewer College, right? And then I ended up in a major called entrepreneurship, which at the surface doesn't really mean anything. Like what does mm-hmm. that actually mean? But what that major allowed me to do was to take, that actually had the least amount of pre-required, prerequisite courses um, part, as part of the major. And what it allowed for was for me to just pick and choose classes I enjoyed. You know, so I took an art history class. I took a corporate finance class. I took a personal finance class, which is, I think is huge. Um, so public speaking class, public speaking class yeah. which was huge. Yeah. So oh, I you know what I would also add? I would add talking. accounting. QuickBooks skills are for huge sure, these sure. days. This person is going to be super well-rounded. <laughs> so I, I, so I agree with all everything you're saying. I think, I think when it comes down to it, it's not only the education though, it's also actually getting out there. Yes, for sure. Learning on the job. There's no replacement for it. Right. So, you know, putting yourself out there, even if you have to not get paid, right? Unpaid internship right. or you know, just getting experience in any way you can. I think that's a huge part of it also. Yeah. And I would add to the internships and jobs um, section of it. Shadowing is a really great way. And I think people think of shadowing just in like the medical fields, but calling professionals that you know and asking them to, I mean, now it's really hard. Um, And that's really why this podcast is great because you get to hear the day in the life of somebody as opposed to having to go, but going into the office and seeing what they do. I mean, this is something we do in Flatbush or we did, <laughs> we take students on trips to see people in the office environment and see the different jobs that are going on in that office. In and, and it's amazing to right. see because I think a lot of times people have these stereotypes about different jobs, whether it be from TV or from people that they know. And a lot of times they're wrong. I mean, that's what we're seeing on this podcast also is that we're debunking a lot of stereotypes around jobs, which is a lot of fun. But you, you might realize that a job that you never would have considered either because you had a, a wrong stereotype about it or because you just never knew that this is, this is a job that people do. Like we went once to somebody's office and they were selling, it was Delta children. So it was the chamois mm-hmm. and there was somebody whose job it was to set up the background for the pictures, for the photo shoots. Mm-hmm. And like anybody who's super creative and has an eye and like, first you take it in a white space and then they take it onto the computer and they put background, like they, they do interior design basically on the computer. Right. It's so cool. And so many people who were there, the kids that were like, we didn't know this was a right, job. Right. I was like, me neither. Yeah. I mean, so the truth is a lot of, how many kids growing up watching, uh, you know, lawyer shows mm-hmm. think that lawyers yeah, are, are super interesting until they actually have to deal with 50 yeah. page. Uh, that know, was me growing so, up for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, they're never going to put a profession on TV that's just super <laughs> Right. Exactly. going to watch the show. Right, so exactly. It's always going to be exciting some. Uh, right. Glad I want to move to, and, and of course, included in this conversation are, you know, company considerations. You know, you mentioned right. environment. Is the company, you know, young versus like super corporate? Yeah. Are the, you know, d- d- is the management give autonomy, give, give uh, yeah. you know, control for people to, to own their own projects, things like that are important um, that you only really see when you actually do it, right? So Or by being knowledgeable enough to ask the people who work there, right. you know, what is the work environment like? And I think that that's something that people forget um, is that the environment, you could be in the right career, so to speak, air quotes, but if you're not in the right environment, then for it's sure. going to feel completely wrong. So, so we're jumping to like, or I'm going to jump quickly to like interview skills. Um, and I've interviewed a bunch of people for, you know, open junior positions and stuff like that. When they come in and they have no interest or questions for me about the company, right. it's a, it's a red flag because it's like, you're, you, you have a stake in this, right? We're, we're the ones with the job offering and right, we kind of have control here, but you have to show that you want to be in this position and are interested in this type of position and, and want to be in this type of culture. Cause if that's not the case, 
then it's a, it's a bad deal for both of us, right? Six months down the road, this is not going to be a good relationship. I think that's actually a great point. I've interviewed people that I've explained that I try to be very upfront. If it's a boring job that you're, that you're doing for me, I'm going to tell you this is a boring job, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the worst interviews have actually been the people that have said, you know, problem, before you even finish the <laughs> sentence, yeah, I love doing that. I, and I try to even test it a little bit. I say something really, really horrible. Like, you're going to do this for, for hours and hours on end. Like, yeah, no problem. No problem. So I think that's actually a good right. point. Right. If you're way too agreeable. Yeah. It's funny because I always think of parallels between, like, dating and the job market. And this is definitely one of them. Like, you don't <laughs> want... Like, it's a red flag if you're, like, talking to somebody and they're agreeing with everything that's that you're saying. Getting into a different podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I want to switch gears to... Okay, so, Carol, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast um, the types of clients you work with. Mm-hmm. I had always assumed that... You know, this was, and this up until this point of the podcast, we've been mostly geared towards people looking at prospective careers, maybe college age, high school age. But I really just want to get to your role across different stages of people's careers and different ages. So I'm curious if you've if you've seen yourself give different advice maybe to people that are older versus younger. And then included in that conversation are people that are in different parts of their career, right? You have a person who's just graduating college very different advice you might give them versus a father of four who's in a dead-end job. So I'm just curious how you've, how you've handled that in the past. Right. So like I said, every client is different. And it's not just about their age. It's about what they want. So my first question I always ask is, what are you looking to gain out of this relationship when we work together? And if it could be I worked with somebody who's, you know, a mother has, you know, five kids. And I actually ended up working with her in the same way I would a college student because she was, you know... I don't really need this job for money. I just want to do something that I like. I'm just exploring, right? And that can parallel somebody who, you know, has the ability and the resources to explore and figure out what they really want versus somebody, I could have somebody in college who's saying, okay, you know, I have expenses and I need to be able to pay the bills. And that's a really different conversation. So depending on what, again, like your values are and what you need right now, um, there are different things that you can be doing. So if your goal is to find, you know, I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes to find that perfect job versus find my first job or get yeah. a job because I need right. to get paid. So there's a difference between going out and exploring like Ezra, like you did, having the ability to take nine internships. I mean, that's a luxury. Not everybody can do that. And if I could tell everybody to do that, I would because I think that that's an amazing experience. But for some people, they need right away. So that's sort of looking at, okay, what skills, what hard skills are trending right now and getting them to take those courses and get those certifications or whatever it might be in order to be able to do the job now versus, okay, I'm going to take the time to explore my soft skills and really gain a big understanding of who I am and then find the job that fits so that. What would you tell a 19, 20 year old person that's coming to you and it's like, I want to find my dream job. Would you just be like, get a job first and then you'll figure it out from there and, and you kind of help them through that. Or is it like, okay, let's take the time to do that. So I'm very clear up front. I think expectations are really, really important. And the thing that I always say is it's really, really important that you know that what I'm going to help you with is not finding one job. It's going to be helping you learn about yourself so that you know that you can do any job really well or like a really wide variety of jobs very, very well. And then throughout the process, we're going to narrow that down based on your interests and your values and all of these other things. So the goal is never really to find one job, it's to open your mind to how many, you could be good at many jobs. I think uh, just leading back to the, the person who doesn't have many options, it, it just reminds me of, of the whole conversation of dead-end jobs, which you know, really is prevalent more than ever in the U.S. I mean, people are spending lower, uh, you know, basically as little time as possible than we've ever seen as, 
in U.S. history at a job at a specific time. So, I mean, I think about yeah, my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law, you know, he's he's been at jobs nine months, ten months maximum, and he has to leave. So, first of all, I just want to... I'm curious, in your opinion, where does that come from? Is that something that, you know, where does that kind of unfulfillment stem from? Is that just the lack of challenges? Is that just monotony? Or is that some other issue you think? I don't know. I always think of it as like, we're sort of in this age where it's all about instant gratification. And like, we have been, I don't know, we grew up in this age that everything should be good right now. So there's not really that, okay, I'm going to stick this out. And eventually it's going to lead to this other thing as much as I guess the generations before us for better or for worse. I mean, I think there are a lot of people in generations before us that really just suffered in jobs that they didn't like, as opposed to saying, okay, I like this and I learned a lot from this and now I'm going to pivot. So they just it's don't good. Want to settle. It's good and bad. I mean, right. listen, there's there's parts where it's like, you know, you have to tough this out if you want the promotion and there, it's not everything's going to be 100% right. glamorous. There's going to be things that you like and things that you don't like. So, I, think I the, mean... The job market also dictates whether you're able to even well, do that true. and have that flexibility to be like, yeah, this one isn't for me. Let me try again. Because, you know, in the past few years, we've had uh, an amazing time of um, career lows and unemployment and, and the, the job market... Um, is really, you could, you could find anything at that point, but when people are unemployed and you, and people are hiring, then it becomes a lot less likely that I'm going to be like, I don't really like this so much. I I, I do like the paycheck. I'm going to stay where I'm at, you know? Well, I mean, the facts are that people for the most part are actually unhappy in their jobs. I mean, 2019 Gallup study said over half of the U S employment, you know, um, uh, employees are unhappy with their jobs. 30% see their job as just a job, right? Means to an end, a paycheck, no relation to their identity or what we were saying before, you know, their self-actualization, right? Or their, their, their highest fulfillment of self, anything lofty like that. So, you know, it's, it's tough to see people in these quote-unquote dead-end jobs. Um, I, I Personally, I point to companies like IBM, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, Nestle, companies that had founders that completely started from scratch at ages over 50 years old, and they found something that they were, I mean, obviously those companies are massive successes, but I just, I'm of the opinion that, you know, if you're not happy, then you should go find what you're happy with. Right. So I guess one big thing about that is I think now more than ever, we have access and we know about tons of different jobs. So it's also that idea of like, you think having more choices is good for you, but the more choices you have, the more unhappy you're likely to be because you're always thinking, oh, the grass could be greener, right? So if you know that there's only this one job for you, you're going to go into your family business and this is what you're going to do. You're not really thinking about different things. And again, for better or for worse. Right. I want to just ask you, just to finish off this topic, um, and you kind of hinted at it throughout the podcast, but h- how you got to this position. You, know, you mentioned going to um, psychology because of certain reasons. I'm just curious if you could kind of finalize your uh, career path. You know, How did you get to this position? How do you choose your career? Like, how did you find what, what you're passionate about? Right. So just like most of us, it completely happened by accident. Um, so I'm a big believer in things happening by accident or by luck or fate, however you want to say it. Um, so I'll tell you, first of all, it's just funny always looking back when I was in graduate school, I loved my career counseling classes and I would tell my, you know, the people in my cohort, I'm oh career counseling is like the best. And they looked at me like I was crazy. They were like, you like that class? It's the worst class. And that's something that I want to give as a tip to people. If you like something that a lot of the people around you are not liking, that's something to take note of. Um, <laughs> but, um, 
So I was working it as a therapist and I really, really enjoyed it. And I was working in a clinic and I was working with people with anxiety, depression, all these different things. Um, but if you look back to also what Ruthie Minopla was saying in her episode, a big part of that is you can't, you can't give advice. And I think that I also thought that I would be giving advice. And similar to Richie, I love math. I love problem solving. I love riddles. I love mystery shows and books. I like problem solving, figuring mm-hmm. out the answer and telling the person the answer and be like, I got it. Okay, right. next challenge. Right. So not being able to do that in therapy was very, very, it was hard for me. You know, I know the answer and I'm sort of waiting for the person to get there. Mm-hmm. Whereas I want to sort of be able to solve the problem, help the person realize that that's what it is and move on. So um, I did a lot of work with SBH. I'll give them a huge stat- shout out because they were a big part it's of my career. Sparkle William is a yep. nonprofit organization in Brooklyn. <laughs> Thank you. And they have a career counseling center and I was part of their GEM mentorship program. So they had a program where they had high school and college aged interns. It was mostly college, college aged interns who would you know, be in a variety of industries and they would also have these events, these mm-hmm. programs. And every time I was coming home from a program, I would go with Rita Shabbat and Vicky Mastery, who were running the program, and we would debrief it, and we would talk about what worked and what didn't. And I ended up becoming very, very involved in their young leadership, you know, young professionals board. Mm-hmm. And we created different programs, and we were, you know, having panelists and things like that. And I was sitting in a row of a bunch of boys who I went to high school with, and one of the panelists said, you know, if you want to be hired as part of my company when you graduate from college you need to have had an internship freshman sophomore junior and senior year and all of them they looked at each other and were like ah too late like why nobody telling me this before and something clicked for me where it was like okay somebody needs to be telling our our high schools that this is important so I went to Flatbush Halal Mag and I sent them all emails about this and happy to be that Flatbush expressed the most interest and I went to Flatbush so I went to them I set up a meeting I was talking about this two-period program to just educate students about careers. And they like left the room. They're like, wait here one second, brought in all the principals. And they were like, we love this. And we want to hire you to do this here full-time, which was a crazy thing because I already had a full-time job and an offer to stay. And I had clients that I was working with. So it was a really big moment for me to have to figure out, okay, do I want to stick with the therapy or do I want to try this new thing? And for me, it was really about okay, the therapy will always be there for me. I have the degree. If I want to work as a therapist, I can. But this is an opportunity to help build a program that's really going to impact people. And if I don't do it the way I want to do it, somebody else is going to do it in the way they want to do it. And Mm -hmm. I think that that was really amazing for me because part of what I love to do is create, you know, see a problem, solve the problem, figure out how to creatively come up with ways for kids to learn about themselves and to do all of these things. And I have an amazing team. Shifra Hannah and Doris and to be are unbelievable. And I love working with them. So going back to the work environment, you got to love your coworkers. Um, but I think just to ask you the question, did you find your dream job? I think your answer. So I love my job, but again, I'm, I'm in our generation. So I think that I'm always open to thinking about new things. I'm never really satiated, right. <laughs> which I don't know if that's good or bad, but I'm always thinking about how to grow. And I think that that's where going private came from it was like okay I was doing this amazing thing and I knew it had so much value but I realized that like okay people leave high school and they don't have this guidance anymore and part of that for me was really fixing a need that I was seeing in the world or in our community and part of it for me was like you know the being my own boss being entrepreneurial all these things that I don't get in my job so the combination of the two is really satisfying I just want to ask a couple quick final questions and based off of this um Carol I'm just curious what is your single greatest success you think in, ter- in terms of this job specifically what are you most proud of 
I'll say that my biggest success is when I'm working with clients and this happens a lot and this is something that really makes me feel good and they say, I finally feel like somebody gets it, right? They go to so many people, like we were saying before, their family, their friends, maybe they go to somebody else for you know professional advice and they're like, nobody really, nobody really got it. Um, so being able to help people feel heard and feel understood, even before we make any big changes, I think that's huge. And I guess that comes from like the therapist within me. It's like really knowing how to listen and not just like, oh, I'm a good listener, but like actively listening and not just thinking that I know what you mean, but making sure I know really what you mean and who you are and your essence and not projecting my own thoughts right. onto the person. And that's something that's, I think, second nature to, to almost everybody. Whenever they're having a conversation, they immediately want to relate it to themselves yeah. and a story they had. And they can't wait to jump into the conversation with, Oh, that happened to me this, you know, mm-hmm. and, and completely not active listening in, in that, in that conversation. So I think, um, that, that is a huge piece to, to what you're saying and, and helping people and giving them advice is not immediately putting yourself in that situation and, and then projecting onto them. Like, um, we actually had a situation where we, we had this whole, uh, session of, um, of speaking to a person. And this was just an exercise Ezra and I did with, uh, uh, some program where we sat down and you cannot talk for five minutes straight. The other person is talking to you the entire time. You have to actively listen. And it was such a surreal experience to not immediately jump back in and want to talk. and want to share that experience because if it's joyous, you want to jump in with your own joyous occasion and, and, relate, and, that back to and relate it back to yourself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or if it's, or if it's something said, you want to be like, Oh, I was in your, I've been in those shoes. I, I feel what you're going through. But you can't ever feel what right, that other right. person is going through. So you just have to be there sometimes and, and understand that. I don't, I don't know where we're going with that. But. I'm not sure. Well, just to wrap this up, final question. And Carol, you've been a great guest. Um, Thank you, guys. Final random question that I was curious about. What, yeah. what job do you guys think that exists now won't exist in five years? What do you guys think? That sounds familiar. <laughs> oh, what a job that, that exists now won't exist yeah, anymore? Won't exist. Crystal ball, what do you think? Oh, wow, that's hard. I thought you were going to well, ask. Andrew Yang, uh, not to get political, but he thinks that uh, um, all truck drivers can be automated. So, possible. Um, that is possible. That, that entire industry might And Carol, be what job title that doesn't exist right now will exist in, let's say, 10 years? Got to be creative for this science. Yeah, you got to be. I would say that things that people are doing as odd jobs now are probably going to become more mainstream. So, like, the things that we were talking about before, like, somebody who's, like, you know, helps people with their TikTok ads. Like, that's going to have some sort of name, and that's going to be, like, a huge... Right huge thing. Like influencer wasn't a thing and then it became a word. Like there's going to be a word for people who help people with social media optimization. Yeah. I think the industries are going to remain relatively the same. Like marketing has been marketing since they were, you know, uh, the snake oil guy was coming to your town and trying to sell you something. Marketing will always be there. It's just the, the medium might change. But, um, I think that's a, that's a great question. I'm trying to think if it's going to be some new innovation with automation and how um, we're going to interact with that, the, the human side of, of automation. I'm, 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 I think it's going to be somewhere along that, those lines, but that's obviously not very specific. Remains to be seen. I want to thank Carol Dweck, beautiful guest, coming on the show, and really congratulations on the whole program, the podcast, and your career. I definitely encourage everyone who's going through any questions, challenges in their career search to check out uh, this podcast, future episodes, and to uh, give Carol a call. Uh, thanks again for, for your time. Well, I know, I know she plugs everybody else, but let's plug you. Where can we find you, Carol? <laughs> um, okay, follow me on Instagram, careersbycarol. Um, or you can email me, careersbycarol at gmail.com. 
Very simple. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you guys. We hope you guys enjoyed this first season of What the Heck Do You Do? If you're looking for some tips, tricks, or insights on how to find your career happiness, reach out to us at careersbycarol at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at careersbycarol. See you guys in season two.